All right, so a couple weeks ago, we jumped into um, our Reply All series with a message on spiritual gifts, and uh, we took a passage um, from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 um, that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth and I think is um, important to the church today. Uh, And there's uh, three verses in chapter 12 that we really dissected a good bit, and I'm going to read that. Um, from the NIV version today, it's First uh, Corinthians chapter twelve, verses four through six. It says there's different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit; different kinds of service, but the same Lord; different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. And uh, in that message, we talked about the, the those three verses or equivalent to um, three different. Uh, manifestations, ministries, and uh, meanings behind um, the gifts. And uh, because each one of those words, different kinds of gifts, same spirit, different kinds of service, same Lord, different kinds of working, same God, all correlate to spiritual gifts, but it's motivation, ministry, and manifestation um, that Paul is writing towards. And so we looked at that in a little bit more detail, um, talking through 1 Corinthians 12, Romans chapter 12 and Ephesians chapter 4 because those three areas are identified in those three terms. Um, Romans 12 spoke to the motivations behind using gifts. Um, 1 Corinthians 12 speaks to the manifestation of the Spirit in the gifts for the common good. And Ephesians 4 speaks to the ministry of the gifts specifically um, for a uh, the, the fivefold ministry um, that's given specifically to certain people to um, to gift the church. So we we know those three areas. And uh, as I studied a, a little bit more, and we started looking at um, specifically in First Corinthians the manifestation uh, of gifts, I, I wanted to um, be able to look uh, just a little bit deeper into. Um, the mind of this, um, because there's a, a couple areas that um, we did not talk about, um, and I'm going to stay with First Corinthians 12, which is a um, talking about uh, in verse seven. Each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So the manifestation uh, of the gifts that he's going to list for the church at Corinth are specifically the ones that they were dealing with, uh, or that they were having questions about. Um, but they also uh, are important to us because we need to understand that manifestation gifts are for common good. <clears throat> so we look at the common good. It's not just the church. It's not just um, the indwelling of the Spirit among believers for the edification of believers like the ministry gifts are um, in uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Those gifts are primarily for the church. I know evangelism is listed among those gifts, but when we think about um, the ministry aspect of gifts, ministry in ministering, you can take a look at what it says in Ephesians 4. Um, it's for the church. He, he, he makes it very clear that it's for the edification of the church. It's for the people who are redeemed. So I know the question arises because evangelists are listed there, but evangelists also need to be equipped and encouraged in order to walk out, evangelist, walk out their 
their gifts, but evangelists also um, are a, a, the beginning point to bringing in people in order for them to realize that they are pastors, that they are teachers, that they are evangelists, that they are prophets and apostles. And, and the whole point in verse 12 of Ephesians 4 says to prepare God's people for work of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So it's for the body. It's for the furtherance of the body. In 1 Corinthians, the manifestation gifts is given for, he says in verse 7 of chapter 12, the common good. So there's a, a difference between common good, which is a general universal thought, and it says, to one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To one, um, the message of knowledge. Completely different things. Um, it says, but it's by the means of the same Spirit. To another, faith. So the, the additional indwelling of faith not only encourages followers, believers, the church, but it also will encourage non-believers because you are more prudent and more fervent and more rooted in faith. Faith is needed for all, but there is a another measure of faith that ultimately becomes the spiritual gift. It says, by, uh, by means of the same Spirit. Um, the same thing is said about faith, by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing. So it's not just for the church, it's for unbelievers in order for them to believe. So there is a, a, another edification process that takes place here, not just for the church, but for non-believers as well. Miraculous powers. Prophecy is another one that's utilized specifically for not only the church, but unbelievers. To another, distinguishing between spirits. Discernment is something that we all practice, but discernment is also a spiritual gift, a, a deeper portion of discernment in order not only to discern the spirits yourself, but also to help believers and non-believers discern spirits that they are encountering that they may not understand. Uh, it also goes on talking about to another speaking in different kinds of tongues and still to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He gives them to each one just as He determines. So it's not something that we can... Uh, I don't want to say we can't pray for it because we can pray for it because it does tell us that we can pray for um, and eagerly and earnestly desire certain gifts, um, specifically the gift of prophecy, because Paul would go on in 1 Corinthians, after he talks about this, he talks about uh, the church being one body with many parts. It's why spiritual gifts is such an important part and posture uh, to what he writes to the Corinthians. And then the love chapter, one of the most popular chapters on love that's ever preached um, about is in chapter 13, and then he goes into chapter 14, and he puts a, a hierarchy, so to speak, of gifts. And he reminds the church, follow the way of love, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, but he says especially the gift of prophecy. Now, something that I have found very interesting among believers is that we spend a lot of time desiring the gift of tongues, and or we just don't desire it at all. We're either fearful of it or we overemphasize it. Um, I think it's a manifestation of um, misrepresentation in a lot of cases. 
Uh, because Paul even says in verse 2 of this, right after he says, especially the gift of prophecy, he says, anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Spiritual gifts are for mutual edification. And so when we're asking to receive or we're believing the Spirit to fall upon us and receive the gift of tongues, it's strictly a personal gifting. He says it's not for it's not for us to be able to utilize for the edification of man. It's for us to be able to speak directly to God. It's for personal benefit. Nothing wrong with that, but when we're thinking in terms of how we use our gifts to edify other believers and ultimately see non-believers become believers, which is edification as well, then, then prophecy, prophetic speaking, and when he says prophecy, it's not just about foretelling the future. It's about speaking truth into someone's life. It's knowing the truth of God's word, discerning the truth of God's word, and speaking it boldly, plainly, clearly in love to an individual. Now that could entail that God is going to do something in a future tense in someone's life and he uses you to put those pieces together for that person and it's still completely valid and valuable. But we get so wrapped up in some of the other things that we miss some of these, uh, these important points and postures uh, of the manifestations of the gifts. He even goes on, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. It's verse 4 of chapter 14. But he who prophesies edifies the church. He says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may be edified. So we, we need to make sure that we put things in proper perspective and proper order. And somewhere between all of these, because he makes out that prophecy is the most important thing that we can that we can aspire to and attain and we get it so backwards isn't that just like the enemy to confuse things that we spend so much time trying to teach and interpret on tongues when there's yes specific teachings but it's not a primary teaching that Paul's teaching on he wants you to realize that it's more important for you to speak into people's lives he even goes on later in the same chapter in verse 18, it says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in verse 19, he says, in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So we don't need to major in the minors even when it comes to spiritual gifts. We get hung up on ones that we don't understand, and that's understandable. But we also don't need to get hung up on certain things so much that we miss primary things and so the manifestation of the gifts is for common good and if we're not careful we can wrap ourselves up into some things that god has never intended us to be wrapped up in even when he opens his letter to the church at rome back in romans chapter 1 uh, in verse 11 he says i long to see you so that i may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong but then he he adds to that statement in verse 12, that is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. So the gift that he wants to give them is going to mutually encourage, and then the teaching part of that living sacrifice teaching comes in chapter 12 of Romans. He, he encourages them in view of God's mercy to offer their bodies as living sacrifices. This is that motivation 
passage speaking to the motivation behind the gifts. And he, he tells them that we're supposed to be holy and present ourselves pleasing to God. He said, this is actually your spiritual act of worship. And then he goes in for in verse three, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you all, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Consider your motivation. If your motivation is to receive tongue because it feels good, then God's probably not going to grant it to you to begin with. And then you're going to start presenting yourself with a manifestation of a gift that you actually haven't received. And there are a lot of believers, there are a lot of believers that are running around believing that they are speaking in tongues and they have not believed it because their motivation has been for their edification. And all spiritual gift motiva motivation is supposed to be about others. Living sacrifice implies that we're willing to give up ourselves in order for someone else to benefit from the sacrifice. It's the whole purpose of Jesus coming and in flesh, Jesus coming from a place of spiritual wholeness and holiness to, to dwell in flesh and ultimately give himself away as the ultimate living sacrifice. Not just so we can identify, but so that we can be shown and we can see exactly what, when something like this comes up, what a living sacrifice looks like that we're willing to lay down. We don't conform. We're not, a, we're not pattern pleasers anymore. We're transformed because our minds have been renewed, because our hearts have been set on faith. And now he says, for the grace that's been given to me. And he says, this is what I tell to every one of you. Do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. Stay humble. Don't want to possess things for your benefit, but rather think of yourself with sober Judgment, And then he gets in to more gift talk, motivational gift, motivational speaking that he uses. But he says we have, in verse 6, different gifts according to the grace given us. Now, I've, I've taught on this before, but I mention it here again. According to the grace given us, this is not the saving grace measure. This is that charis grace, which is the spiritual gift, this the supernatural endowment of the Spirit of God that ultimately unlocks the gift that God has placed within each one of us. And he immediately talks about the very thing that he told the church in Corinth. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it. But he doesn't stop with that. He says, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. And here's something that I always find very interesting about how this manifests and how it comes up after... 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where he speaks so candidly about the spiritual gifts. Chapter 13 begins his discourse on what true love looks like. Ironically, the end of chapter 12 ends the same way as 1 Corinthians does. Chapter 12, verse 9, love must be sincere. Motivational gifts are only produced in individual believers if love is sincere. If faith is present, 
If you're measuring your gift, it's not based on how much you use your gift, but the motivation behind your gift. Is your motivation love? Is your motivation being devoted to one another in brotherly love? That's what he says. Love must be sincere. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor. Be joyful, patient, faithful. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. All of these things are the motivation that we have for receiving the gift that God's placed within each and every single individual believer. But it's manifest through love. That's the motivation, the manifestation. And then you get back into Ephesians where the ministry gifts are listed. And I think this is what's interesting about this because we've taken this Ephesians chapter 4 and in a lot of churches... We've turned this teaching into not ministry, but vocation. And when we turn it into vocation, it's missed its purpose because it's about the individual who God has gifted this way, giving something away. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying because vocational ministry is something that Paul even speaks to, that when they give an offering they do it before he even comes so that they his needs are provided for so he can continue the work of ministry. Vocationally, it's completely biblical. But what I'm talking about is, is we've turned it into such a vocational uh, ministry aspect that we have a division between those that do the work of ministry, which is now becoming every spiritual gift needs to be found in the individuals who get paid and the people that show up and we're supposed to do that too. And it's not what is intended because it's intended for there to be a unity in the body. And let me just say this. If your motivation in Romans 12 is not love and your motivation is, well, I don't get paid, then you've got the wrong motivation. And your gifts are not going to be valuable because it's not faith-based and it's not love-based. It's vocational-based. The, the difficulty is, is that those that do get paid in ministry immediately get looked to as they're taking advantage of something. And it's not true. It's simply what Paul had already put in place saying, you have to take care of those that are, that are gifted to take care of you. Because the manifestation of gifts that are listed in 1 Corinthians 12 are not just for the church. They're for the edification of the church, but they're also for the edification of non-believers so that they will become believers. Romans Chapter 12 is the same kind of instance talking to our motivation. Why do we prophesy? Because it's in proportion to the measure of our faith. Why do we have faith? Because we believe that Jesus Christ has come to save us from our sins. And so we have been gifted prophetically to speak into people's lives. We've been called to teach. It's the reason that those are there. But then you get into Ephesians and the ministry gifts and we immediately have that discussion and we immediately turn around and mess this thing up royally. And, and I just want to, to briefly look at this because it says, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now that's a statement to everybody who has been gifted. Everybody who has been given a portion of God's spirit which is not just the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. 
It's the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in proportion to the faith of the individual for the purpose of their spiritual gift being valuable. You can have a gift that God has given you and never open the gift. It's like it's like Christmas time. You receive gifts from your loved ones and you say thank you and you never open them and use what's in the box. You just sit back and you admire it. Well, that's why Paul talks about what he talks about in Ephesians because we've separated those that do and those that, that don't. And it's not supposed to be a divide based on who uh, gets paid and who doesn't, the ministry aspect of it that we've created in our culture. And so he says, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Every one of us has received that. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another. Here's that word, in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body, one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. And to each one of us, grace has been given. This grace is that charis again, not the manifestation of the grace that, that is given to us by Jesus through the cross, through the resurrection, and, and prompted by the Holy Spirit for us to receive grace. This is charis, grace, spiritual gift, endowment, that's been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who had descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Verse 11, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. And in verse 12, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, what's interesting about this is, is that we will always need these gifts in our life. And here's the other part of it. It's not going to manifest itself, these gifts, in an individual so God's not going to send the church, whether that's a local body that's searching for a pastor, a pastor that has the gift of apostleship, prophecy, evangelism, teacher, and pastor, because it's not what God intends. God manifests these gifts in different portions, in different people, for a reason, because he wants you to be reminded that the body is important, that it's not the manifestation of the gifts that are listed here, the fivefold ministry gifts that we've probably heard teachings about. It's the manifestation of five gifts and possibly even five individuals. It may not come that way. You may find these five gifts in two individuals or three individuals, but you will not find these gifts in one individual. And it's the reason that so many churches fall into a trap of believing that when they go through a process of hiring a pastoral employee, that they're looking for certain criteria. Most of the time, it's degrees, because that's what we do in our educational culture. They're looking for experience, because that's what we do in our business culture. We want experienced employees as an employer. And God says, you don't need to do that. You need to look for these gifts. You need to know the gifts that are already present if you're going through that process. If you don't have a teacher, you need a teacher. If you don't have an apostle, you need an apostle. 
If you don't have somebody gifted prophetically, you need that gift. If you don't have somebody gifted evangelistically, you need that gift. And here's the other part of it that, in all honesty, being very candid with you, drives me insane. The word pastor is used as a blanket statement for every single leader in the church, and it's not biblically accurate. Because a pastor is not the only person that can lead a church. A pastor is simply the shepherd that cares for the flock. A pastor can also be a teacher, but a pastor may not be a teacher. I've had a lot of people in my life that are not gifted teachers. They're gifted theologically because they went through seminary and they know the right things to say and the right way to say it, but they have not been gifted spiritually with an endowment of the gift of teaching. And you know they have not because most of the people in the pews don't change. It's not because the people don't listen. It's because the manifestation of that spirit was not left upon that person. It was intended for somebody. So that's one of the things that has uh, always kind of been a bother to me is the fact that we, we have a divide between really what it sounds like is the haves and the have-nots. And that's not what, it's not what Paul has intended. Um, it's not what the Lord has intended for us. It's not what God's Word intends for believers. And um, to, to conclude the Ephesians 4 part, the ministry aspect, those of us that have been gifted to admonish and minister and serve the church with the with those particular ministry gifts the purpose is for the individuals who are receiving the gifting from the ministry leaders is for them to attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ it's about maturity it's about becoming mature so not only is it about seeing people come to a place where the evangelist uses his gift in order to see someone come into a relationship and actually enter infancy in this but the the manifestation gifts for the common good that we looked at in first corinthians also do that so there's an evangelistic effect there that is possible and usable by the holy spirit in order to bring about a newness of life the rebirth or new birth of the individual and so it says as ephesians Chapter 4, this portion of Scripture on the, the ministry gifts. In verse 14, it says, Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, here's that word, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So this is just another portion of the ministry gifts that are intended for people to mature. So there's gifts that bring about salvation in people. There's gifts that encourage people even if they have not received salvation. There's supernatural gifts that then minister to the saints for the saints to grow up in their gifts. And it just it's a continuation. And what this is, is it is discipleship. At its truest, most spiritual form, it's not a program like we think discipleship to be nowadays. It's the gifting of an individual working in another individual. Discipleship is influence spiritually 
influencing someone else with the gospel through the gifts that you have received in order for them to be edified. Edification does not mean that they always will like what you give them. It's about them being able to grow up, to become more than themselves, to trust a little bit more. That's why we have a saying, and we use it quite often, that we want people to take a single step of faith. Every single day, I want my church, the individuals that make up the church, to take a single step of faith. For some of them, the people that come into our church do not know Jesus. They're not part of the church because they don't know Jesus, but they are part of the fellowship and the extension of the church. It's okay for them to come to the church, to be around the church, to be a part of the church. But their step of faith, their initial grasp is that the Holy Spirit is working in their life to bring about salvation so that grace can take root in their heart and grace can take over their life so that faith can then be manifest and when faith is manifest then love becomes manifest and we truly begin to understand more greatly what our motivations for our spiritual gifts are what the manifestations of our gifts are and what the ministry of our gifts are because we all are valid valuable and important members of the body some of them just have not been grafted on yet so we want individuals to know where they are. We want people to understand that there is better in this life and the next. There is better than what they're experiencing right now. There is better than what they can see, touch, taste, and feel. Because we will get that wrong. It's funny because even with the, the simplest of, uh, of senses that we like to use all the time, you and I can smell something and it smell different to us. It may smell one way to you, but smell completely different to me. God's Word's not that way. Do not be deceived into believing that you can take God's Word and interpret it how you want, and then use it how you want. God's Word is not to be interpreted. God's Word is to interpret individual. So individual becomes a part of a unit. So be careful that you don't use your gifts the way you think you do. Be careful that you don't get wrapped up in your feelings and what you know because the Spirit of God changes all of that. And if we're manifesting our gifts through the Spirit, our motivation changes. The manifestation of the gift changes and the ministry of the gift changes. And what's so beautiful about all of it is is that prophecy, I said this earlier, prophecy in Scripture according to what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians is the gift that we should all aspire to. And it's one of those gifts that it's the gift that Paul says is the greatest gift. And yet we have this idea that apostle is the greatest gift. Or we have the idea by some that tongues is the greatest gift. And we have this idea that uh, so many other things are the greatest gifts. And it's not there so that you'll know what the greatest is. It's there so that in prophetically speaking into people's lives, you will you will begin to grasp a supernatural spiritual understanding of what God's trying to do in this world because you can't see it. You don't always feel it. You can't touch it or taste it in a lot of, a lot of times. But what you can do is you can trust that it's there. And you can live by the Spirit, as Paul puts it. You can put your faith and hope in Christ and you can place your trust and a Holy Spirit that is going to work in and through you that can do things that you are not capable of doing. There are a lot of things in the church that we are capable of doing and we do them very well. 
We make, we, we make a, a, a art, an art of doing those things very well. But what God is looking for is for us to discover who he says we are. The, the church, for us as a church, a, a lot of churches say it a lot of different ways. For us, we want people to encounter Jesus. Because without encountering Jesus, there is no hope of salvation. Without encountering Jesus, there is no hope of a future. Not just an eternal future, but a future now. Because you're going to continue to toil and strive and struggle through life without encountering Jesus. Then when people encounter Jesus, we want them to find their place. What does that mean? What does it mean to find our place? It means that we know who God says we are. We're not defined by our circumstances. We're not defined by the environment that we live in. We're not defined by the political climate or even the social climate. We're defined by the spiritual climate that God has set for the believers. And we want people to find their place. And part of that finding their place is to use the tools that have been manifest through His Word, through His Spirit falling upon us, to discover who God says that we are as individuals so that we fit into place by the purpose that God has implanted in each one of us. And then we say it like this, then we want to be able to inspire others. We want to inspire others. What does it mean to inspire others? What are we inspiring them to do? We're inspiring them to encounter Jesus. We're inspiring them to find their place, to realize that there is more to this life than what they see, touch, taste, and feel. Because the truth of the gospel changes Things. The truth of the gospel changes you and I. I know this was a, a teaching segment, and here at the end it gets a little bit preachy, but I hope looking at the manifestation and the motivation and the ministry of the gifts, maybe this extra teaching on spiritual gifts will benefit you uh, in your walk with Christ.